See, that woman that went to the wicked witch in there uh, is the mother of, of the bride. And she doesn't like this woodsman very much. And she doesn't want her daughter to marry somebody that's a woodsman. And so she pays the witch to curse his axe. Pays the witch. This is the real story of the tin man. Pays the witch uh, to curse his axe. And he was a man at one point. And he slowly, slowly loses his, his limbs and finally becomes the tin man. I won't ruin the story for you. But he finally becomes the tin man. But the tinner can't build him a heart. And so he loses his perspective of what mattered to him the most. Without a heart, he forgets what he was trying to accomplish. The only thing left is cutting trees down. Is the work that he's supposed to do, not why, but the what, is what's left over. And he works so furiously that it rains on him one day and he becomes stuck. You've seen The Wizard of Oz. He gets stuck cutting down trees and he becomes stuck. And over the time, that it takes him over the generations that he's frozen there in the woods, frozen, he realizes that it was better to have a heart than to accomplish something. That if you accomplish something without a heart, it doesn't have any value to it. And so when he comes across Dorothy, uh, he comes across somebody who can set him free on a mission to find his heart, to figure out what was once lost that he now realizes has more value to him than accomplishing something. So this morning, I, I don't have a lot of notes this morning. I, don't, I have a couple of scriptures, and, and I wrote some stuff down, and I'm just going to be real honest. I'm probably not going to read any of it. Uh, I, I don't really have a desire to articulate anything to you this morning. I don't have a desire to say it fancy or to say it uh, uh, Facebook quotable. I don't want to come to you with eloquent words. I want to come to you with my heart. So this morning, I just want you to hear my heart. That you might find your heart. Some of you don't know where your heart is. Some of you have broken hearts some of you have misplaced your hearts. Some of you guys have buried your hearts under all your pain, and some of you have hard hearts. Some of you have walled off your hearts, and some of you have hearts of stone, and some of you have wounded hearts that are bleeding right now. Some of you are in the process of mending your hearts, and some of you have full hearts. And I don't know where your heart is this morning, but I want you to hear mine. My desire is, by the end of this message, that your heart be set free, that your heart be healed, that your heart be mended, and that your heart be brought back to life. So I don't know what kind of heart you came in with today, but I know what kind of heart I want you to leave with. So if you'll open whatever heart you have up to me for a few minutes... If you'll open up whatever damaged, broken, or stonied heart you have for a few minutes, I'd like the opportunity for you to trust me into setting your heart free. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 1, 18 through 21. Ephesians 1, 18 through 21 says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realm 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I pray that your heart may be enlightened. So this morning, my prayer is that your heart may be enlightened in the name of Jesus, who has all authority above and below, not only in the age he was in, but in the age to come, our age and the next age. I pray your hearts are enlightened today. See, what's amazing about this is that it says our hearts are enlightened and that when it's, our hearts are enlightened, that we take part in a glorious inheritance because we are his holy people. So there's something very powerful about enlightening our heart, about allowing illumination, God's love and light to come into our heart, allowing him to penetrate to our heart. It means that his glorious inheritance then gets opened up to us. So if some of you are going, hey, where, where's, my, where's, where's God? Where's he at? Where's he at in my situation? And, and your heart has been closed off to him. It makes it a whole lot harder for him to give you what he already wants to give you. Okay? I'm not claiming that you're going to get everything. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying whatever he has for you can be damned up by your heart refusing to allow him near you. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect in roses. Let's not paint that picture, okay? It's not prosperity message. But he has things for you. And the things that he has for you, you don't want to miss out on. And so sometimes we're so stuck in our wounded hearts and our hurt feelings and our negativity about what happened to us that maybe wasn't our own fault. That we so focus on that that we don't hear the small voice of God beckoning us closer to him so he can hand us what he's wanted to give us, the one thing that sets our heart free, his love. And without his love, we stay in bondage to a broken heart. And we stay stuck, chopping away at life. Chopping away at life until we just completely stop. So today I'm going to reveal the mysteries of what your heart sees. If you open up the eyes of your heart this morning, I believe that God will change you forever. So if you found yourself here today heartless, take hope. Because we're going to get it restored, amen? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians, if you're following along or taking notes, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on, on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. So that first line grabs me in this. It says this, therefore we do not lose heart. And the thing is, is even though you have a heart, it is possible to lose it. It is possible for your heart to be lost to you. Okay, nobody can take your heart from you. Nobody can steal it. It's not anybody else's fault that you lost heart. But you say, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they stabbed me back, hurt me, broke me. You don't know my situation. You don't know how dire need I'm in. You don't know how every time I turn around and just get beat up. I don't know what situation you're in. I'm not diminishing what you go through. What I'm saying is, is that none of that stuff can steal your heart. You have to give it away. You have to lose it by losing sight of it. That's how it works. So sometimes we, what happens is we get so caught up in the doing of our life that we forget the purpose of what we do. So we get so caught up in doing that we forget about devotion. Our devotion is to God. Our heart belongs to him. 
It is his. And when we surrender it to him and let go of all the hurt and pain, he can actually do something with it. Uh, so the, the interesting thing is our heart has eyes, right? So when we talk about seeing unseen things, the way you see an unseen thing is not through these eyes, okay? Maybe we need to have a readjustment of our understanding here. It's not through these eyes. It says the eyes of our heart. The word of God says the eyes of our heart. So our eyes... Uh, uh, come from our heart, our spiritualized. So last week we learned that our mind has a spirit, right? The spirit of the mind. So your mind has a spirit and your heart has eyes, okay? So it actually can see the eyes of the heart. So there is this amazing ability to turn these off and turn these eyes on and to see the unseen. So if you say, you know, uh, uh, I want to see the unseen, I want to understand what's going on, then you need to turn off these eyes and start turning on the heart's eyes, and then you will see what is unseen. Here's the problem. The Word of God is very clear that there are both good hearts and wicked hearts. So out of the abundance of a wicked heart comes wickedness. Out of the abundance of a good heart comes goodness. And so if you start looking at your life through the wrong kind of heart, you will see things wrong. You will, you're not, you're not crazy, but you perceive that somebody's out to get you. You perceive that they want to hurt you. You perceive the wrong thing. You, you create scenarios in your own mind that help feed your destruction. You don't trust people. You're scared of everyone. You, everyone's out to get you and hurt you and do you wrong. And, and that's, the world is like that. There is people in the world like that, right? But what happens is you start to give into a fearful heart and you see fear everywhere. You start to give in to a, 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 an anxious heart and you're anxious about everything, Right? You start to give into a hurt heart and everyone's hurting you, right? You give into a fragile heart, not a soft heart, a fragile heart and everything hurts you, right? Even when someone tells you to suck it up, buttercup, right? <gasps> That's even hurtful. So you see with the wrong heart and your eyes see the wrong things. And you don't see truth, you see your perception of the world, which is wrong, which is false. The only way you see right is when you see it through God's eyes. The only way you see it right is when you see it through God's eyes. So how do you see through God's eyes? Well, I just told you that the eyes, that the heart has eyes. So where's God's eyes? His heart. So if you want to see through God's eyes, then you get your heart to line up with his heart and you'll see through his eyes. Ooh, that's good right there. You'll see through his eyes. So when you're struggling and you go, Lord, I don't understand. I don't know what to think about it. And I don't know if I should just like tell that person who's what's he and what's a who's he. Okay. And I'm going to tell them how it is. Okay. That's pastor talk for not saying the stuff that you're thinking in your head. Um, okay. But I'm going to tell them how it is. And you start to align your heart with God's heart and you get God's perspective. Then you will see what the truth of the matter is. Okay. Well, that person's grumpy and was rude to me. And then God comes along and says, you don't understand. They've had a loss in their family and their heart is broken right now. That person, I was trying to be nice to them and they just shunned me. You don't understand. They, they lost their job and, and, and they're about to hit bankruptcy and they just feel like everyone's out to get them. And so they don't trust you at all. And they want to, but they're scared. That person lied on me and told people things that weren't true. That person's filtering everything through the wrong eyes. They think you're out to get them. And they don't understand that what they're doing is damaging. 
And what happens is we get our hearts misaligned out of God's perspective and we can't see that and we can't hear that. So here's what happens is we get stuck in rules. We get stuck in stuff, man. I read this conversation the other day and I read it and it was like all of the, it was some, uh, and I think it was Andy Stanley, you know, from a book that he wrote and people were just going off. I love reading Christian comments because it just makes me feel so hopeful about the church. <laughs> Excuse me. I couldn't say that with a straight face. Um, oh, I didn't even realize I have this off. There we go. That's a little better. So I can't say that with a straight face. I love reading Christian comments on Facebook. So he had said something like, the Old Testament is obsolete kind of thing, right? And then you have like the war go back and forth. That's not what he said. I'm not quoting him. Don't. That's not exactly what it said, but it, like that's the way people took it. Let me put it that way. And it just started this war back and forth. And people were like, oh, the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments are dead, huh? Oh, he, I think he was talking about uh, resurrecting monuments to an Old Testament philosophy and nothing to the New Testament. And so that's where it started. If we're going to erect monuments, let's erect monuments that matter to, the, to our faith as Christians, not just Old Testament stuff. Like, I think that's what he was trying to get at. And so it just exploded, right? I mean, you just had hate and, and vitriol and Phariseeism versus Sadduceeism versus, I don't know, crazyism, uh, all popping up on there, right? You know, you had a couple of conspiracy posts, which were way more fun to read, honestly. Um, and so I'm reading this and I'm like, ah, why doesn't anybody get it? What he was talking about was we're in a phase of love now. And so the law is not as relevant, okay? And so he's saying it's relevant, but let me, let me put it in perspective for you, okay? Because he was making the argument that Jesus said when they came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment in the word? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. By the way, that is not one of the 10 commandments, Okay, the Ten Commandment that applies to that would be, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay, so that's not in the Ten Commandments. And they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, all the others hinge. Okay, on these two commandments. So he was saying, those are the commandments we're supposed to be following. And people started erupting. Oh, so I'm supposed to murder people? I can just murder people now. It doesn't apply to me. I can just steal my neighbor's stuff because we don't have to follow that. And I think they missed the point. And what I'm trying to say to you today is I think everyone's missing the point. They're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Are you allowed to murder people? No. So is that still kind of, you know, is the Old Testament law, don't murder people, still in force? Yeah. Are you allowed to steal from people? All right, I get to covet my neighbor. <laughs> you know, like, no, you can't go commit adultery. You can't go commit sexual sin. You can't commit adultery. All those things are still no's. Those are still sin. They haven't changed from sin. What happens is when we lose heart, we start to follow the rules. Why can't I have adultery? Because the Old Testament says I can't and I'll be a sinner and then I'll be in trouble. Is that really why you don't murder your neighbor? Some of you are like, yeah, that's really why. <laughs> You better pick a different analogy because I've thought that. I will go to jail and that's the only thing stopping me. Okay. You're right, you're right. Bad analogy, Pastor. Uh, I get it. Uh, so that's not what's stopping you, though. That's not what's stopping you from stealing from everyone and hurting people and doing that. What's stopping you is that you actually have a heart for someone. So what Jesus was trying to say is don't do that so that you can obey a law and you don't get in trouble. 
Do it because you love your per- the person next. You wouldn't murder them because you love them. You wouldn't steal from someone because you love them and you love God. You wouldn't hurt God because you love them. You guys need to get it. It's a marriage. You need to get it. It's a love relationship. You don't cheat on your wife, smack her around, leave her and beat her husbands because you love her. And if you do, you don't love her. You don't do those things because she'll get you in trouble and not cook dinner, right? Or maybe he won't cook dinner, whichever way the role is, okay? I'm not being one of those, all right? But you don't do that to your spouse because they won't do your laundry or cook your dinner, you know, or they won't talk to you or they won't let you watch your show when it's TV time, okay? Um, You do it because you love them out of a loving heart. So what Jesus was trying to say is on these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments exist in that. So he didn't take away the law. He upped it. He made it bigger. He said, you're now accountable because I live in you and you can have my heart. It's not enough to just do it if you have no heart for it. Now I'm looking at your heart. Now I'm looking for someone who has a heart for me. Not just someone that will do the stuff so they can check off the box. It's not enough. It's not enough. Right? Husbands love their wife, but if all they're doing is busy providing resources, or wives providing resources, and they forget to provide a relationship, it's not really a relationship, is it? Some of us have gotten that. You don't have to nod or or raise your hand to that, but come on, some of us have been there where our relationships became duties and responsibilities of who was taking care of what. And we forgot about the relationship and we turn around and we find that our relationship is gone and all we have is a business partnership. Okay? And Jesus understood this concept. He, met with two, he went to eat a, a dinner with, with two sisters. And one sister was busy preparing the meal and in the kitchen and getting everything done so Jesus could have a nice meal and she was preparing everything. And her sister, that lazy, no good sister, just sat at Jesus' feet and cried and wept and worshipped him and didn't do a stinking thing to help her in the kitchen. And so she finally comes out and says, Jesus, my sister's a lazy, good, rotten, no good sister. I don't like her. She didn't help me at all. Tell her to come help me. Lazy. Doesn't she know we're supposed to do stuff? Right? Supposed to get stuff done? She didn't check off any boxes. And what does he say? He says, he's like, you know what? There's always going to be another meal, right? I'm going to paraphrase drastically. There's always been another meal, but I'm here. And she did what was right. She's worshiping me. See, he wasn't looking for someone that feed him. He was looking for someone who would have a relationship with him. He wasn't looking for a free meal. He was looking to give away his free heart. Okay? And so if you've lost heart today, if you're like the other sister, if you're like the one that's been working away, you've lost your heart and you're going, I want to. I want to just, I want to have that kind of heart and that kind of relationship with God, but I just don't know where to get it. And I'm lost. And I feel like I've lost heart. Here, take hope and courage. You're in good company. Okay? You're in good company. There were some other great Bible figures that felt like you and went through moments like you did. The slayer of Goliath, the greatest king of Israel, David, lost his heart when his sons chased him into hiding in a cave. 
He completely lost his heart, and he had to refind it again. Jonah lost his heart when he got swallowed up by a whale. He forgot that he was supposed to go and deliver the word of God to people, and he lost his heart for the people, and he wanted them judged. Peter lost his heart in the Garden of Gethsemane and denied Jesus three times. I'm, I, I'm totally convinced that the reason that, that Peter lost his heart and could not stand the test and denied Jesus three times was because he fell asleep and couldn't pray with Jesus one hour. I believe that if Peter would have stayed up all night praying with Jesus, that he would have found the strength and courage the next day. And that when people came up to him and said, aren't you that one that followed Jesus? And he goes, you know what? I am him who followed Jesus and said, you know what? Be healed, be set free, be delivered. And would have stood in front of people, the same bold Peter that he was after Jesus rose from the dead. It was always in Peter. To be the man that would just walk up and say, get up and get healed. And be the rock of the church, but he couldn't pray one night. And he woke up the next day, and he was weak. His spirit was weak. He had lost his heart because he had lost his voice for prayer. So connecting to God in intimate relationships will restore your heart. It will restore what is trying to be taken from you, that you give up. So Jesus came across a crippled guy sitting in a pool, okay, in Bethsaida. And he asked him, do you want to be healed? After 38 years, this man had been trying to get healed. He'd been trying to get to this pool where the, where the angels would stir up the waters and whoever got in first got healed. They got, they got, the, they got the healing water of the angel. And he'd been there 38 years. Do you think after 38 years of believing for your miracle and staying there day after day after day, hoping to get it, you might lose heart? People criticized him because Jesus came and said, do you want to be healed? And his answer wasn't yes. It was, I don't have anyone to take me down there. I don't know where you're at this morning. But after 38 years of trying to get one thing accomplished, one, and you're still not there, it's easy to lose heart. So I don't think this guy had a wrong heart. I think his heart was broken. I think he had given up. And here came a Savior that said, look, I realize your faith ain't there. And I realize your heart is broken. But I'm the God who mends broken hearts. And I'm the God who gives faith when you have none. And so he took him and he said, get up and be healed. And he healed him and he sent him off to go tell the world that he had been healed by Jesus. And here's the great thing. He got healed, healed of his physical impairment, right? But the more important thing, his heart got healed. His faith got healed. His trust got healed. The eyes of his heart finally saw God who was for him and didn't leave him alone after 38 years of waiting and praying and breaking through. I don't know how long you've been waiting for your breakthrough. I don't know if it's been a minute or 38 years, but there's a God who could show up and your idea might be to go to the pool, but Jesus' idea is different. He says, I'll heal you right now. I'll set you right now. I'll remove your hurt right now. You don't need to go to a pool. Your idea is not my idea. Get your eyes right. I'm in front of you. I'm in front of you. Jesus is in front of you. Your idea of how to fix it may not be his idea. Your idea of how it's going to get better may not be his idea. And so when you align your heart and his eyes, you might see that he's standing right in front of you, ready to set you free. If that man wouldn't have realized who he was and had that conversation with Jesus, he would have sat by that pool for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life if he just would have turned around and not seen Jesus, right? How many of you guys think 
there were other people at the pool. Considering how he never could be first, I'm imagining there was a line. Right? Did Jesus heal anyone else? Maybe they weren't looking at him. Maybe this guy made eye contact with him and said, that's Jesus. And Jesus said, "Mm -hmm. yep, you see me. So now I'm going to set you free. Sometimes what we need is to see God in the midst of our circumstance, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our turmoil. We just need to see God and realize he's there. You're not free because your eyes aren't looking at him. You want the secret to being a failure? Like everybody wants to be a failure? Yeah, yeah, give us that. Nope, no, we don't. Thanks. Keep moving on. You can move on. You want the secret to being, losing a, to being a failure? Lose heart. Lose heart will guarantee your failure 100% of the time. Losing heart is the root of the downfall of success. When you lose heart for something, you give up. Here's what I, I don't know how many times you prayed for something. Here's what I can tell you. Just because you pray for it doesn't mean you get it. All right? Sorry. You will not get every prayer you pray. But I can guarantee you, you will not get 100% of your prayers, but you will get 100% of nothing for the prayers you never prayed. You will get nothing for the prayers you never prayed. I don't care if God chooses to answer one out of 100 prayers. That 100 prayers was worth it to get the one that I never would have got without it. See, here's what I want you to get. Losing heart is the root that robs your life. It's the root that brings Christ. I don't know if you're political. I'm not getting political, but I don't know if you're political, okay? And so this is what I want to see. So if I'm stepping on your toes, I don't care, all right? So (laughs) I I really don't, all right? So just deal with it. I don't know if you're red or blue, uh, liberal or conservative, and I don't really care at all, all right? But it it goes across the board both ways. This, This is one of those that stretches across that. I see political fights all the time, and I'm one of those, the typewriter, I start to type a comment that I think is clever, and then just hit delete. I'm like, nah, I'm not doing this to my life. Like, I need peace, all right? And so I just don't want to get into it. But here's what I want to tell you is I don't care which side of the fence you are on, okay, whether it's Trump in office or whether it was Obama in office, and you go back and forth. Everybody, all the keyboard warriors, they type the same thing. If we can just get, if you're a liberal, if we could just get Trump out of office, everything will be wonderful again, and he's the problem. Oh, if we can just get Obama out of office, then everything will be wonderful again. Well, we just need to drain the swamp in Washington because they're all corrupt over there. And if we could just drain the swamp, then everything would be wonderful again. And I hear that all the time. And I'm not denying that there's some swamp draining that needs to happen in our nation. And there's corrupt politicians and there's corrupt people and there's corrupt businessmen and there's deals behind closed doors and there's wickedness and 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 um, and, and uh, uh, sin happening, right? And there are people that are and out for you in our government systems. I'm not saying that that's not true. What I'm saying is you don't have the answer. Okay? What I'm saying is your drain the swamp is not the answer. Okay? Your answer, that can't be the answer because the way a man's heart gets corrupted is not because there's not just one system of all the corrupt people on earth that ever were that's in our government right now. And if we just remove them, then everything left over would be rainbows and munchkin land. Okay? All right, because here's the thing. What you need to understand is if we drain it, more of them will come. If we get rid of one corrupt politician, another corrupt one will step up there. 
okay? And the reason is, is because our, our human system, our human system has created a discipleship program of corruption, okay? We have created a training ground of corruption. And what I mean by that is that what happens is you're a person who believes in doing good. So you say, you know what? I believe my avenue is government. And so you say, I'm going to go and step up and run for local government. And you get into local government. And right when you get into local government, you have a heart to change the world. You're going to make the world a better place. But you can't get on that committee because it's the good old boys club on that committee. And so you have to do a couple, you have to vote for their bill or you have to do their little thing that they want and be on board with that so that they will give you a little power. And you tell yourself in your heart, um, I don't really 100% support that, but it's not that terrible. So I'll just, you know, I just won't make waves until I'm the guy in charge. And then I can change the system. I'll play the system until I'm in charge of the system. And then I can break the system down. And what happens is what we don't even realize is the lie of the enemy is that second, that moment that you, for one second, abandon your principles and your morals. You gave the devil a tiny little foothold and he took hold and he built it and built it and built it until it became a wall of your corruption. And good men who started out with good deeds became corrupted and the cycle continues. So the key is not to get rid of the corrupted ones in there. It's to change man's heart from the foundation up so that they can never be corrupted in the first place. If your solution is just get rid of them, they'll come back. We have to start changing people's hearts. We have to be people who teach our children to have moral and upright hearts, not so we can say we're good people, not so we can do the right thing, so that our hearts are safe. Because the second we give a little bit of our morality away, the second we give a little bit of our values away, the enemy takes it all. And he will systematically rob you of your future. Until you, at the end of your days, have you ever watched one of those movies and it's like they get stuck in a bad choice and a worse one, right? And you're like, oh man, I don't know what I would do. And like, or, or caught up in something and the something in order to get out of, they have to do something, right? Like you got some guy and he gets caught up. He gets caught for like embezzling a little money from the drug lord. I've seen movies like this, right? He, he didn't know he was working for the drug lord, but he embezzled a little money and the drug lord comes and says, you're going to pay me back. You're going to go run these drugs over there. Right? And, and then it like turns into shooting out and he has to kill people. And it just keeps blowing up and escalating until it's like, dude, what did you get into? Right? Right? It's like total mission impossible business, right? But on the wrong side, and he was just a nice accountant who got caught. In the, he, I saw a movie like that. I don't even remember, but he was a nice accountant who had a, 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 a criminal come on him to do his books. And he made a decision I'll just do his books. It's fine. It's not a big deal. I'm just going to do his books. No big deal, I'll make some good money doing books. And he ended up this full-on drug cartel guy, right? And you know, woke up one day and was like, how did I get here? How am I here? You don't wake up one day and be a good moral person and just decide, I think I'll be a prostitute today, right? I mean, some of you, I don't know. It's uh, questionable. Uh, right, you just don't do that. It's the small steps, the choices where you felt like you were stuck and had no other option and it was the best thing for you. Satan lied to you and through the wrong heart and the wrong eyes, you allowed him to take a hold of you and start to wall up your heart brick by brick by brick by brick. You can't ask for, for morality to come out of a heart that's been corrupted. 
See, Jesus understood that. That's why he said the two greatest law, all the laws hinge on two things. Don't lose your heart. That's the essence of it. Do not lose your heart because when you do, all the rules go out the window. Justice goes out the window. Mercy goes out the window. And you become an image of yourself that you don't like anymore. That's what happens. I know it from a fact, and maybe you've been there in your life, where you just kind of got mad, and out of a hurt heart, you said one thing. And because you said one thing, you made a decision, and now you're too late. It's too late, I've already made a decision. And so you keep chasing that path, and you keep walking down that path, till one day you wake up and you don't even remember you, and the 12-year-old version of you would slap you upside the head and say you're an idiot. Right? You think any 12-year-old boy, you think any 5-year-old boy when his mom said, what do you want to be when you grow up? He's like, I want to be a mobster, right? I want to be a hardened criminal, mommy. Do you think any of them did that? Do you think at 5 years old they were thinking murder and robbery and bank robbery? And Do you think they were thinking that? Or do you think they made a bad choice? One bad choice. They took that cookie from the cookie jar without mama knowing. Like, I'm serious. I know it's kind of a joke, but one small decision to give away a piece of your heart to the enemy. One small choice. One small choice. So we lose heart. We become, when we lose heart, we become products of the ends. We become indifferent, we become intolerant, we become insulting, inconsolable. Everything is inconvenient and we become insane as we insult ourselves and look inwardly at our own selfish desires till finally our hearts are completely incapable of love and we, like the tin man, are rendered incapacitated. Frozen, hearts finally gone. See, there was a woman at a well. Do you remember that? And I'm gonna close very soon. There's a woman at a well. In John chapter four, there's a woman at a well and he meets her and he asks where her husband is. You think he needed to ask that? Where's your husband? She's like, well, I don't got one right now, but I've had five, right? And the one she's with right now is not her husband. She's a Samaritan and she's kind of an outcast of her town. Nobody likes her, nobody cares about her. And she's kind of lost her heart. It's really hard to be in a society that everyone thinks you're a dog, okay? And be okay with that. So she has... Never made it with any man. She keeps breaking up with him. She's had five husbands, and the one she's with now is an adulterous relationship. And Jesus answered this in John 4, 13 through 14. John 4, 13 through 14. He says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She puts down the jar and she goes back to the town that hates her, that thinks she's a dog, and she tells them all, the living water's up on the hill, and if you want to see the Messiah, he's up there. And this woman who had no clout, who was disrespected, who lived in sexual sin, that was hated in the place, saved the entire town. They all came to Jesus, every one of them, because they saw something came back in her. A dead heart was brought back to life. A dead heart was resurrected in that moment at that well, and she found the living water right there. Proverbs 4, 23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything in your life comes from your heart. It is necessary to guard because it is the place that your life will flow out of. It is the place that you will see everything in your life. When I was a kid, I grew up in LA and they had the LA River and they concreted the whole thing in, okay? 
And they concreted the whole thing into this basin. And all of the, the rain, when it comes, it flows all through L.A. and it flows out to the ocean. And the place with the most droughts never captures any of their water. Hmm. That was good planning. Um, so, right, they definitely didn't look with the right eyes there. Um, and, and, and so it flows from that. So when the rain comes, there's this rushing river that flows through the entire town. Water comes streaming down to it, and nothing in its way could ever stop it, all right? Nothing could stop it. And it's this, and when I was a kid, I'd go down there and play, and then when the rain would come, we'd, we wouldn't go down there and play because it became like roaring rapids, all right? It was crazy. You're like, nope, we ain't playing down there today, right? Just flowing water everywhere. And our hearts are like that. Whatever is in our hearts will flow with such force, like roaring rapids. And so what you release from your heart has the ability to just become a, a monumental outpouring out of your life. And what you pour out depends on where your heart is at, at the time that it pours out of you. And see, here's the thing. Your enemy knows the power of your heart. He knows what's capable in it, and he wants it. He wants your heart because he knows that if he can twist it and turn it and use it for him, it's powerful and nothing can stop it. But guess what? God owns your heart. He is the owner of your heart. In fact, it says in the Old Testament, we read about Moses and Pharaoh and it says that he turned the heart of Moses hard, right? He hardened Moses, uh, not, excuse me, not Moses, Pharaoh. He hardened Pharaoh's heart against the Jewish people so he could show his wonder, okay? I don't care if you live for God or you don't. God owns your heart. God owns your heart. Why is it your will is yours, your free will is yours, but God owns your heart because he knows the power is actually in the heart. Wherever your heart is, your will will eventually turn. So it doesn't matter if you make a resolution. It doesn't matter if you make a good decision that you're gonna do this or do that or I'm gonna be a good person. If your heart does not agree with that, you will be steered towards your heart and you'll be at war with yourself. See, the wizard didn't give the tin man anything he didn't already have. The wizard didn't give the tin man anything he didn't already have. The, wind man, the tin man was just a member through the time that he was frozen. He sat there long and frozen to realize something. I need a heart because without it, I have no purpose. Some of you think you're protecting your heart by keeping it walled off. Some of you think that your heart is safer if you just keep it hard. You know what a hard heart can't do? It can't pump. It can't pump. It can't bring life. See, we're supposed to live with the blood of Jesus through us and our spiritual hearts can't pump it when we harden it and wall it off. And then we wonder why we can't hear him, why we can't feel him, why he doesn't seem to show up. And we say, why, we, why can't we see you, God? Why can't we see the path forward? Because our hearts are not aligned with his. And the way to see through God's eyes is for our hearts to line up with his. When we have a heart like his. That's why David was his favorite. That's why he loved David so much. David did some wrong stuff, didn't he? David messed up. But God said he has a heart after mine. He used him so mightily because David was the one guy who could see. He was the only guy in Israel that could see because he had a heart like God's. So he saw through God's eyes. And when his heart turned a little and he got off base and he couldn't see right, someone would come and show him God's heart again and say, this is what God sees. He would immediately turn and say, Lord, that's what you see. I can't believe what I've done. And he aligned his heart again. And he aligned his eyes again. And he 
pushed forward on the path God had called him to. When you see what God has for your future, your heart might soften. So I don't know where your heart is. Bow your head with me. God, restore to us. Shine light on our hearts this morning. Don't let us get stuck like the tin man, heartless, wasting away on meaningless tasks that have no value. The tin man forgot about love. He forgot about his love that he was working to build a house for. And because of it, his life had no purpose, so being frozen didn't matter anymore. Some of us have been so stuck. So stuck. Father, stir our hearts right now. Some of us need to find our heart for God again. Find our purpose for God again. I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you've had no heart for God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. And right now my message is hitting you. Your chest, right there, you feel your heart stirring to life. Heart come alive in the name of Jesus. Right now your heart is heavy. You feel it. And it's time to give your life to Jesus. And you've never given your life to Jesus before. And today you want his eyes to be your eyes, his heart to be your heart, and to get into a relationship with him. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. No one's looking around. It's just me and you. Raise your hand so I can pray with you. Raise them up so I can see that this is your day. This is your moment. Do not miss this. If you are wavering, if your thought in your mind right now is, I don't know what to do, that's God beckoning you. That's God beckoning you. He's calling you to heart with him. Your freedom, your breakthrough is right now on the other side of your hand going up. That's it. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you that if you keep it down, everything will be great. The reason why you're struggling right now is because it's not great. So give it to the one who can make it great. If that's you, raise your hand this morning. Amen. Amen. Who else? Who else? This is your destiny, your moment. It's where everything changes for you. If you've been far from God and your heart has not been close to him, and it's time to rededicate your heart, turn your eyes back to him. If that's you today, raise your hand so I can pray with you. Raise them up quick. There are hands everywhere. Raise them up quick. Boldness. Come on, believe that God can restore your heart. Have boldness in what you want from God. A heart, a heart. Don't be heartless anymore. Raise it up. Church, pray this with me. Pray this with me. If you raise your hands or you wanted to, you pray this with me. Everyone pray this with me. Heavenly Father, give me a heart after you. I surrender my life to you. I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross, to die for my sins. Forgive me. Set me in right relationship with you. Let your heart be my heart. Let your eyes be my eyes. And I follow you and give you my life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Come, someone can praise God today for victory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah.